Welcome to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way of food and beverage products get to market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers to reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Market of Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folk, and entrepreneurs. We believe in the way we source products and it has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we are proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support our robust regional food system. Thank you, Market of Choice. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Smithsonian Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food and beverage entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Masoni with a box on her head. I don't even think I posted a picture of you with your box on your head. I am doing that as soon as we get off this call so everyone can see see what I'm laughing at all the time. It's sustainable and it's innovative. That's <laughs> oh, I love it. It's great. We are glad that you joined us live today. We're honoring our social distancing and each calling in for the show. Since we're a live radio show, we think it's important for us to be here with stories of hope and inspiration for all of our food friends out there. Sarah, I wanted to um, talk about last week. I was so bummed I missed the show. Yeah. Did I even tell you why I had to miss the show? You said you had to get your eyes checked. I did have to get my eyes checked, but this is like um, a turning point in my life because I have to get bifocal glasses. I have trifocal glasses. <laughs> my doctor like got me ready for it like she's like I'm gonna just have to tell you something and it might be upsetting and I was like oh no what if I have like a tumor in my eyes or something oh, <laughs> she was like you are ready for bifocals this is like that stage of your life and I was like I don't care just to I, let you know once you go bifocal you never go back I know I'm totally fine with it I just need to be able to see all of a sudden I stopped being able to see very small print like the back of my labels <laughs> oh, well some of your labels are really yeah, small they I'm are not. really small and I stopped being able to see them so I'm like fix the problem please so that's yeah. why I missed last week's show but I was so sad to be gone hey I have some food news we ate at Friday I'm in love down in Pioneer Square on the weekend have you ever eaten there it's I haven't how was it it was delicious was it so good yeah you can get it on toasted gluten-free um bread and i had of course there's a fried egg on it but it had pesto and a really nice sausage patty that they made and parmesan cheese and then i got um added. that sounds really good i haven't been there i'll have to check it out they yeah. um i know they had a shop before so are they they're now in a cart oh they have a shop on hawthorne and they then they still have one 
around the city. So I will oh, perfect in there. You should check it out. And also some very great food news is that Top Chef is doing season 18 in Portland. They just released the information four hours ago. That's so exciting. Yeah. So woohoo. And, and I think Gigi's going to be a judge on there this time too, instead of a participant, which is cool. So we Gigi can have, is? yeah, yeah, totally. Oh yeah. So that's exciting. I don't know if that's top secret. I might've just blown, <laughs> blown a secret. <laughs> that's okay. They don't listen to this radio show. <laughs> Insider information. I actually knew a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't tell anyone. So. Oh, good. Well, good job keeping it secret. I yeah. have um, some food news, too. So uh, my Pacific Northwest Sauce Makers group that I have is part of another fundraiser. We're participating in the FTD Hot Sauce Challenge. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Hot Sauce Challenge. So we're raising awareness and funds for, it's called Friends. Totemporal dementia, which I might be saying it wrong. I hope not, but I didn't know about it before they asked me to be um, in this fundraiser, but it's a kind of dementia that affects people that are under 50 and it's a brain disease that a lot of people don't know about. So they're trying to raise awareness so that people can get diagnosed when they have it because it's not very commonly known or um, looked into. So we're doing this hot sauce challenge where we uh, take shots of our own hot sauce and you can do it too. You can watch the videos. You can be part of the fundraiser, help to spread away awareness. If you have money to give, well, you do you go, like, take a dollar per shot or something. It's like, we a just, we just have a fund that you can go to on their website and, um, and donate to. So there's a link in our profile you can find, um, and you'll see some fun videos of there's one right now of me taking a shot of hot sauce, which I've never done before. Surprisingly. It was pretty fun. <laughs> that group's uh, always doing something cool. I know. We like to do cool things to support other people in the community. Uh, if you want us to help spread the word about any of your news, awards, or events, you can get in touch with us. We'll help uh, spread the information to our listeners. You can send us a message on our Masonian Marshall Instagram, and we will help spread the word. Yes, we will. So we are joined today by somebody who might know about shots that aren't hot sauce <laughs> shots. Yeah. We are joined with Jill, who is the owner of Freeland Spirits. Based I wish I could say Oregon. I'd never taken a shot of my own products. <laughs> <laughs> I know we should we should have now we should have followed the hot sauce shot challenge. Are we taking shot. shots right now. I know we should be. <laughs> I have a bottle upstairs. I can go grab and take a shot really quick. I know, same. Freeland Spirits is a distillery that celebrates the women of the craft. From the gals who grow the grains to those who run the still, they are creating superior spirits that celebrate all the Northwest has to offer. Jill, I'm so glad you joined us today. Happy to be here. <laughs> Before we get into your story, I have um, something... I because I always love all of our guests, but I also feel like I have a special connection with you because my husband and I both, um, well, Dirk was the very first public purchaser of your gin, right? Oh. And and on accident <laughs> at the night market. And then I purchased the very first bottle of bourbon that you guys did, which I actually have not even opened yet i have bought multiple bottles of your bourbon but but i have it marked bottle one of one that you ever did 
So yes, there's more to that story. It was the night market in December and we were releasing the gin and it was, I mean, the labels had literally showed up that day and I'm sitting there at the booth frantically putting on labels that hadn't even opened yet. And Dirk walks up and he's like, excuse me, can I have a bottle? And I was like, a a bottle of what? Like, I don't understand. I was like, oh my God, somebody's actually going to buy this. (laughs) So I I was committed that that you and Dirk get the first bottle of everything we produce. So I I set aside the bottle of bourbon for y'all and actually have a bottle of a special release with your name on it right now. So oh, I'm so yes. excited. Well, yes. I mean, just, just that one interaction is like the perfect example of how we, you know, have become before we even really knew you, we just became your lifelong fans. Like we just felt connected <laughs> to your business. Every time we see you grow or something exciting happen, we're like, remember when we saw her and she hadn't sold any yet. And we're so surprised <laughs> that we wanted to buy a bottle of gin. <laughs> So just so you know, we're your fans forever. (laughs) (laughs) Likewise. Well, we want to help you to tell your story and connect you to other makers and customers. So can you give people your social media handles so they can find you and follow along on your journey? Everything is just at Freeland Spirits. Perfect. You make it easy. That's great. So tell us, tell us, uh, about Meemaw. <laughs> so I grew up in grandma's garden in um, East Texas. Uh, we had a little lake house right next to Meemaw and Pops. And Meemaw, bless her, never touched a bottle of booze in her life as far as I know. And, you know, I would drive her to church on Sunday mornings. Um, but I... I grew up just next to her in her garden and and shelling peas and making food. And I just really, I really fell in love with food and agriculture through my grandma. So she was a big inspiration to the the birth of Freeland Spirits. And isn't that her last name, Freeland? That's right. Mima Freeland. That's really a good story. And what, so you call, so Mima is your grandma, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what you call your grandma. <laughs> that's just like Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. He calls his grandma Mima on that TV show. What, Sarah, what do you call your grandma? I mean, I call a grandma. I've never called my grandparents anything else. What do you call your grandparents? Well, all mine are gone, but my Italian yeah. grandma, we used to call her um, Grandma Mia. Yeah. Cute. Grandma, it's, that's it. It's interesting to hear different, you know, people from different areas, what they call their grandparents. And it, it even, I mean, of course, it's always just interesting to know, but I had never heard anybody call their Grandma Mima until I read your story. And I was like, oh, well, she must not be from Oregon. <laughs> I'm not from here. <laughs> yes, I thought everybody had Mimas till I, I got here. But now my yeah. mom is Mimi. But my daughter, who is nine, just came up with a brilliant. She's she's calling her Graham Cracker now, which she thought was just the most brilliant joke ever. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty fun one. <laughs> well, um, we love to hear stories of women who, you know, blaze new trails and are part of um, doing something cool and innovative. And as far as you know, there's there's very few female-owned distilleries, right? You're, are you one of very few or one of the only ones? Very few. Yes, there there are several husband and wife teams, um, but there aren't a lot of um, women owned, solely women owned distilleries and also very few women operated, um, very few women distillers in the industry that and we're hoping to change that um, slowly but surely. 
And did you set out when you were um, designing your business, did you set out that that's what you wanted it to be was women owned, but also the distillers that work there would be female? Um, it wasn't like the initial concept. You know, originally I, I come from an agriculture background and I was running um, Zanger Farm in East Portland, which is an educational farm where kids go to learn where good food comes from. And uh, while I was there, I got to know my good friend, Corey Carmen. She's a grass, she raises grass fed beef in Eastern Oregon. And mm-hmm. in Corey and I always drink whiskey when she comes together. We, we you know, we try to get out into the Wallawas and backpack together every summer. Um, but we were just chatting, you know, we were drinking whiskey one night and it was um, some delicious Kentucky whiskey, but just the kind of idea, like with, with our wine, we think of the terroir, we think about the vineyard it comes from. And we were just thinking like, oh, you don't really think about that with the whiskey we're drinking of who grew the grain and what grain exactly is it that we're drinking. And we were just talking more and more. And she was like, you know, I've always wanted to incorporate small scale grain production on the ranch. Um, so it's kind of led to I'll grow it if you make it. And that was really the birth of Freeland, but it also got me excited about, about really highlighting the role of women you know, Corey's one of just such a few number of women that are involved in ranching. And clearly there's very few in distilling too. So how could we really highlight women in these industries where we're just not seeing enough of them? Um, so that got me really excited about, about the, the really women led concept. That's really cool. And who are some of the other, um, people and maybe we can tag the farms if you have the names of the farms um, that you source the grain from. Cause I think it's important to highlight those people and farmers. Um, so I don't know if y'all know vibrant Valley farm. They're up on Savi Island and all women team. Um, and we get a lot of our fresh ingredients from them for our gin. Uh, Camas country mill um, down in um, outside of Eugene uh, husband and wife team down there that are they're they're not only growing some of our grain, but they're also milling a lot of it. So whatever Corey is growing on Carmen Ranch, we send to Camas Country Mill to mill to exactly like the specs we want for us to make whiskey with that then comes to us. So those are some of some of our main main partners right now. Perfect. That's so awesome. We'll make sure to I, I've we've already we've talked about them from other things because a lot of local makers, uh, you know, um, source from them. So it's great. Well, we are already connected and we can connect people to them through your page too, which will be really So fun. you have a master distiller that studied in Scotland? Yes. So after, Hi. after Corey and I had that fateful whiskey drinking night, I got very excited about having a female master distiller. Um, but knowing there are very few of them in the world. And I heard about this, this mythical creature who was living out in Bend, uh, Molly has her master's in distilling uh, from Scotland. She has uh, her background is in chemistry and a friend of mine knew of her. So I really just went out to Bend and kind of threw her over my shoulder and drug her back to Portland. She was, um, <laughs> she was uh, running production at a small distillery in Bend. And so I, I swooped her up. Good That's job. <laughs> that was a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we want to talk about, um, you know, we like to talk about all the ways that people have pivoted during all of the everything that's going on with COVID and all of that, because you have done some really innovative things and I want to um, be able to highlight those. Do you want to talk about some of the stuff that you've done? Tell me about the quarantine kits. <laughs> sure. So uh, pre-COVID, we were um, a full bar. So we had full cocktails and food and it was really 
hard because clearly we had to close all of that. And that was a huge part of our business. Um, and we knew we would have to do something quick in order to just stay alive. So we pivoted to curbside pickup right away. Um, and then started developing cocktail kits. So you can come to the distillery and get a bottle of gin or bourbon and we'll match it with a kit. Um, and there's all kinds of different fresh mixers that we're coming up with. And so that's been a huge, a huge part of our pivot. Um, clearly the hand sanitizer was big for our, for all distilleries. It was a, a big save. It not only did it provide a huge need, but it also provided a little bit of revenue for, for a lot of the Portland and even broader national, um, distilleries as well. So that was great. And the OLCC has been great and also letting us do um, home delivery. So it really felt like within that first month, we launched about three, three new businesses just, you know, week to week to week. It was just, um, you know, taking advantage of whatever we could and just trying to stay alive and also stay creative. So how do you do curbside booze through? (laughs) <laughs> so people place an order online and then they come and they call when they get there. We bring it out, set it on the picnic tables and they grab it and, and off they go. So it's just really lucky that we have our own parking lot to make that work. Has anybody sat there and drank their booze? <laughs> <laughs> if they did, I, I, I hope I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to say this weekend at the, at the market, I'm not usually your neighbor, but I just happened to be moved. I saw that. So I was next to you, which was so cool. And you, know, you have the hand sanitizer out for people to use. And every time someone used it, I was like, something smells so delicious (laughs) i think does it smell like gin i mean is that what it it is yeah there's there's a little bit of gin smell to it for sure and then we're also we had some um, kombucha that we were redistilling too it smelled delicious so yeah well it was awesome (laughs) i saw that the little squirty bottles say secret hardmark on them yes yes i mean talk about pivots you know it was just like everything was a hot commodity, not just like the ingredients of making hand sanitizer, but the packaging you put it in, like, where can we get eight ounce bottles and just frantic for it. And it was awesome because secret aardvark had some that they weren't using. And so it was just like the perfect Portland story of everybody helping each other out. (laughs) It is. It has been a wild ride. Like I have given random lids and bottles to so many different companies in town because people will just, you know, we're part of this like um, Pacific Northwest food group and, People will just put out there like, do you have any of these lids? Do you have any of these bottles? Because, and nobody even really care. I mean, you have to just switch. Like you kind of sometimes have to stick with the size because of the labels you made, but it's like, I'll put it in anything because because there's yeah. a, a bottle shortage, a lid shortage, everything. Now it's um, canning lids you can't find anywhere. Yeah, I couldn't do canning because I couldn't find my lids. Yeah, yeah I, we, I have some, Sarah, and anyone that's listening, I ordered um, a shipment of like 6,000 lids from Canada and I got them in because I need them to teach my classes, you know, so I had to order a certain amount to get them. So it's a lot. <laughs> so I'm stocked up. If anybody needs canning lids, you can come okay. get them from my canning shop in my house. Well, good to know. Yeah. So uh, go ahead. I was going to say, we got to take a break. Oh, yep. Break time. When we um, come back, Jill, we want to hear all about the different varieties that you make. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. 
committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. Hey, so Jill, we want to hear about the different flavors and um, the, you know, the special things that are that go along with each flavor of gin that you do. Can you walk us through that? Sure. So Freeland um, launched with Freeland Gin. Um, I would say for both uh, whiskey and I, I almost called her whiskey. Molly and I, our (laughs) first love is whiskey uh, with her background from Scotland and learning about distilling that the brown spirits are our, our first love, but gin is a close second And the beauty of gin, of course, is that it's a clear spirit, so there's no aging process required. So we were the the gin also allowed us to to kind of wait for for our bourbon. Um, But the whole idea with the gin was what would Mima's garden gin taste like? And we knew we really wanted there to be a freshness to kind of evoke Mima's garden. The challenge with that is that fresh ingredients die during traditional heat distillation. Um, So Molly, we were on this walk in Forest Park. I'll never forget it. And we're trying to come up with like, oh, what do we do about this? How do we have this freshness? And she had this really kind of geeky, hushed tone of her chemist, the little chemist. And she was like, have you heard of the Rotovap? And um, I had not, but I knew it was probably going to cost me a lot of money. Um, But it's (laughs) essentially a tool of vacuum distillation. So you can do, um, you can distill at room temperature, which allows you to also preserve that freshness. So we do uh, five different botanicals, including cucumber, mint, rosemary, thyme, and a secret ingredient on the rotovap, and then uh, 14 other botanicals through traditional heat distillation. Um, and I, as far as we know, we're the only distillery that, that combines those two processes to create a gin. So that's super exciting. And so when you, you, when you first smell Freeland gin, you pick up on a lot of that, that freshness. And then as you taste it, a lot of the kind of complexities with all the other botanicals really come through. So that's what makes the Freeland gin unique. I think for sure in the, in the original, you can tell that there's cucumber in there and you can tell that there's um, something different that, I mean, I didn't know that that's what was making it different, but you can tell that there's something different than like traditional gins and it's really nice. I love it. Is that the same gin that's in your can gin and tonic? Yes. Yes, it is. Can you tell us how you're doing that? Do you have a canning line in your spot? Or do you- we don't. We have um, a mobile canning unit that comes in. And in fact, they're coming in on Wednesday because we're releasing a second can of French 75. I don't know if y'all know that cocktail, but it's an old classic that has sparkling wine, lemon, and a little sweetness to it. And we're partnering with the women winemakers of Shehalem uh, to, for, the, for the wine. And so that's being blended up and canned on Wednesday. So that's really exciting. That's super cool. I think that's pretty common for people to rent the canning line, right? Yes. Have their own. Yeah. It's a huge investment. And so uh, we work with Tin Man and they, yeah, they just travel around every day that are different site rolling in their canning line and canning. So for us, for an investment, it was just one tank to, to be able to start doing cans, which is cool. So you said that putting stuff in cans was a learning experience. What did you mean by that? (laughs) Um, 
well, everything's a learning experience, right? <laughs> Every <laughs> sometimes a lot more learning than you ever wanted. Um, but with cans, you know, it's just a new market and right now there's a can shortage, uh, like your lids. Um, so there's always something, something new to contend with. And uh, it's also just the market with the market for cans and, and it's, uh, you know, smaller margins. So it's more of a volume play. Um, and ours are a high end can. Um, so it's just understanding, understanding the market and where those cans belong and how to grow the distribution of them. Do you wrap your cans or do you have them printed or how do you? Yep. We, it's a wrap. Yeah. Cool. So you have the original Freeland gin and then you have the canned tonic, gin and tonic. And then what else do you have? Then we released a Geneva, uh, which a lot of people have never heard of. Um, and it's actually an old historic gin. So before London really went crazy with London dry gin, it was historically a Dutch product. Um, so they would actually consider it more of a whiskey than a gin because it's a lot kind of nuttier style because they're taking a whiskey base, a more grain base and, and then adding botanicals to that. So we're actively making rye whiskey with a lot of like Carmen ranch rye and a lot, a lot of other rye grown around the state. Um, and we're putting that in barrel and we won't release it for years. But we're taking a little bit of it and adding a unique mix of botanicals to it. And that's our Geneva. Um, so it's really, we do really small batch with it. It's a really, you know, it's not like you taste it and it doesn't taste like a gin. It's, um, really, uh, you know, most of what people, bartenders love Geneva, but the, all they can get that, that is mass distributed comes from Amsterdam and it's bulls, even though there's hundreds of different Geneva's throughout, um, the Netherlands. And so we actually traveled to Amsterdam to take our, to take our batch product, our, our, our kind of recipe and get it blessed by the Dutch, which was really fun. Um, so we have that. It's kind of, it's also like a way to kind of taste like what our future rye whiskey is going to taste like just in its very, very raw form. So that's, that's been really fun to play with. And then we just recently came out with a dry gin, um, which, so that, uh, that kind of by definition, a dry gin is very high in juniper. So our original gin, Juniper is just one of 19 ingredients. Um, in the new dry gin, it's very prominent. So it's much more of a martini style gin. It's very high proof as like strong women deserve strong gin, particularly in 2020. So uh, <laughs> that's our, our COVID solution. Did you match uh, Dutch Gouda with your Geneva? Match Dutch what? Gouda. Oh, no, we haven't done that. But how they often serve it is with a beer back. It's like a they kind of fill it, fill up a little tulip shot glass of Geneva all the way to the brim so that it's just like almost overflowing and you just bend over and like shoot that and then have a little beer back. It's kind of Dutch style of drinking it. But yes, we need to we need to pair it with more Dutch food, too. Well, Sarah, Sarah's a big cheese lady, so it makes Lovely. sense that she would want to know what cheese you're going to put it with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh. And then the final one that you have is your bourbon, right? Yep. So the bourbon was, so after I kind of had the fortuitous night with Corey, um, planning our futures, um, I knew it was going to take me a really long time to get to whiskey seeing that. I didn't have money to launch a business. I didn't have a space. I didn't have equipment. I didn't have people. Um, so I called up a distillery and had them had them distill 50 barrels of bourbon for me, even though I didn't have a business and let that sit. 
And so that bourbon is now four and five years old. And then we've, I also sourced some 12 year old bourbon. So it's a blend of the four and 12 year. And then we finish it in Pinot Noir barrels from Elk Cove winery to give it a little bit of our own terroir to it. So that's, that's the Freeland bourbon. And, um, it's also giving us a little more time to sit and wait for our rye whiskey to, to age to perfection. What do you do with the old barrels once you're done with them? They usually go to breweries in town. So a lot of breweries are doing fun finishes with our old, our old barrels. That's cool. My people at the Food Innovation Center got some of, I think it was your barrel, but I'm not sure. And he cut it in half and using it in his yard. But with all the extra, he's been smoking meat on his smoker. Awesome. So that wood from the barrels is really delicious with smoked meat. That's so fun. I love all the creative ways that people are reusing barrels or reusing our bottles. It's nice to see things, the life of things continue on. Your bottles are really cool. Can you tell us the story behind your bottles? So I knew it just that, you know, there's more and more distilleries popping up all the time. Liquor shelves are crowded and I knew it had to stand out. And I knew I really wanted a bottle that would tell the story for me, even if I wasn't standing there beside it in the liquor store. Um, so I worked with a designer out of Brooklyn and with really the kind of idea of how, how does this bottle tell our story? How does it, you know, look feminine and empowered and celebratory? Um, so that's what we came up with. And it's, um, the front of it is a woman holding up a stock of grain, almost like, like if Mima could have been anything, if she hadn't been held back by a patriarchy, if she was her full empowered emboldened self. Um, and then it's in the shape of, of a raindrop or a teardrop. Uh, I don't know if people know teardrop lounge, but it's a, a, a cocktail bar in the Pearl that really put craft cocktails on the map in Portland. And the owner was a big help to me as I was getting started. So it was a little bit of an homage to the teardrop lounge. And then also the raindrop shape of kind of the, the rain of the Northwest, uh, so that was, that was really the inspiration behind the bottle. I think that you, you know, whoever your designer was and you did a really good job of being able to tell your story. I mean, we hear that all the time that it's so important for your product to be able to do that. And, and sometimes it translates and sometimes it doesn't. And I think with yours, it really does. I mean, it, it has all of those components just kind of shining through it and they're, and they're so beautiful. So it was, it's a job well done for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we were, oh, I noticed all of the recipes that you had on your website and the cocktail, you know, recipes that you have. Do you have someone that um, comes up with those in-house or do people submit that? Who does those recipes for you? It's pretty much all in-house. So Brooke and Abby are our gals in the tasting room and, and they are just, you know, little mad scientists up front coming up with fun new concoctions just about every day. So that's, you know, that's been fun, especially as we're pivoted to making the cocktail kits. They're still able to be bartenders, even though they're not, they're not serving the public. They're still coming up with fun kits. It's really a shame that your tasting room isn't open right now, because I have to say it's one of the most beautiful places that I have been into. (laughs) And can you just kind of walk people through what it's like, normally because what you know one day people will be able to come back in there but yeah walk through what it's like to go into your facility yeah yeah I mean the whole my idea particularly I mean I, I'm sure as women most of us have had the experience of kind of ordering a drink at a bar and you know sometimes you just want a straight whiskey and maybe you get a look about it or 
or you don't get to just, I love sitting at bars by myself and sometimes you don't want to talk to people and people want to talk to you. So it really was like, how can somebody come into this space and feel super safe and also feel like they could ask any question they could ever want, order anything they could ever want and not feel judged, but actually, you know, feel inspired and welcomed and, and, and learn anything they can about the product from a really well-educated staff. Um, so I wanted this space itself to kind of evoke that too. So you just immediately felt warm and welcome uh, when you come in there. And so it's, yeah, it's, and it was like every friend I have was pulled in, whether it was, you know, the, the bookkeeper from, from doing the work at Zanger Farm, who also does upholstery, who did all the upholstery work, or my friend from Carter and Rose, who has her planters up and down the walls. It was really just, you know, um, a, a collaborative effort for sure. Um, and then we also do, did uh, tours every day. We're open at three o'clock so that people could go into the back and learn from the distillers exactly how, how we make what we make. Um, and then when you're sitting at the bar, you can look right through the windows and see all of the equipment and people at work. Um, our beautiful still is a 500-gallon copper pot still that I was on an 18-month wait list to get from Germany. And it's called the Hell Bitch. Um, <laughs> she, uh, I sent a pic. I grew up reading Lonesome Dove. My whole family is a big fan of the old Western. And once uh, once the still finally got in place, I sent a picture to my brothers. Like, what's your name be? And Hell Bitch was the, the horse who couldn't be tamed in Lonesome Dove. So the name stuck. (laughs) Well, it is, it is so beautiful to sit in there and see everything going on. It reminds me of when, you know, I grew up up on Mount hood and there was a candy shop, the Oregon candy farm that you could go to and watch everybody make candy. And so I just kind of grew up thinking that every manufacturing facility was like that, (laughs) that you could go see what everyone did because it was the only one I'd ever seen. And then that's what I felt like when I walked in there, like I was like, Oh, I can try all these things and I can be watching people do it. And it, and that experience is one of those things that just immediately connects you to the product, you know? So it's yeah. really a cool thing. Do you have people? Well, wait, what are you going to do? Are people going to be able to come back in there? I was just thinking about when I went to the Guinness stout brewery in Dublin and you had to watch a movie before you could go in and drink because they wanted to slow people down. So like you had to sit down watch the movie, then you could go into their pub and drink for free. And then once you left, you had to come back and watch the movie again. So I was wondering, do you have anything like that (laughs) for your guests? Where you make them watch something or learn something? (laughs) No, we don't. (laughs) There, there's no, no rite of passage you have to go through to to enter our tasting room. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it will, we, we could technically open again, um, but because we still have a full production staff that we need to protect and um, we're still doing all of the curbside kits and delivery. It's just, we're going to keep the focus on that until we feel hundred percent safe and, and opening back up to the public. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly an educational experience. There isn't a video you have to watch, but there's lots of staff you can talk to, um, in real life. So (laughs) that's cool. I noticed you do have a few drinks that people can make that are on your, um, website and the spiced pear fizz. Can you tell us about that? No, I can't. I don't even know about it. (laughs) I can't even keep up. There's like a new cocktail that's coming out every day. I'm like, wow, that sounds good. And some of them I haven't even tasted yet. (laughs) Do you have one on there that's a favorite? Well, we did just come out with the Queen RBG in in, um, 
in thanks to the past Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, so that's been a big crowd pleaser. Some of the proceeds are going to Planned Parenthood. So we're always proud when we can, we can help, um, help out partners in Oregon as fundraisers um, and also pay tribute to, to people who have inspired us. Well, that was one of the things I wanted to um, have you talk about because, you know, uh, our podcast is called The Meaningful Marketplace and we like to talk about how people give back to the community. And I think you do a really good job of coming up with specific things that are designed for a purpose or a cause and then um, putting them up there. So that was one of them. But you've done other ones in the past, right? Yeah, so we have a program called uh, Free Spirits. And so every month, a uh, female identifying Oregonian is highlighted. And we work with her to to design a cocktail um, and proceeds of that cocktail or the cocktail kit then go to whatever nonprofit that she chooses. So it's a way of highlighting whatever amazing work she's done in groundbreaking work. Um, and then also to to to, to donate to whatever her chosen cause is. So that's been fun. Um, I come from the nonprofit world. That's what my whole career has been in. And so I'm always you know, looking for ways to, to stay, to stay a part of that world and to contribute to it. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to do more and more of that as we grow. I saw that you have 11 women featured on your site. Do you, are you going to put all the women that you feature up on your site and just keep just keep it going. Keep it going. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. I love that. I also know from being your market neighbor that you donate a lot of hand sanitizer to nonprofits because so many people kept coming up and being like, thank you for the hand sanitizer. You donated so much to our program. And the, your gal that was working was just like, mm-hmm, okay. yes, no, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's awesome that you do that. I mean, people were super appreciative to get that, especially for their programs that really needed it when it was hard to find. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was nice. It was nice. We had some really big contract partners like with the city of Portland and the fire department and Wells Fargo and Providence hospital. So it was good to have those in place. So we were able to just donate the rest of it to smaller nonprofits and clinics and felt, felt, Jill, felt good can, to be a part of a solution in some kind of small way. Can yeah. you tell us the most challenging thing that you had to do to get your distillery going? Oh, I, I would love to not ever relive 2018, but (laughs) I I think, you know, certainly the financing piece of it with such a huge capital intensive venture, um, it's, it was just almost insurmountable. And I come from a world of fundraising. That's what I've done my whole career with nonprofits. So I kind of thought like, wow, this'll, this'll be easy. There's a chance these investors will get their money back someday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, when you look at the, the landscape of finance and, and small business, when less than 5%, 5% of loans are going to women, less than 3% 3% of venture capital money goes to women. Um, it's, you know, you've got all the cards stacked against you. And it's, you know, if I were a woman of color, like then that's just next to impossible. So that was just absolutely brutal. I finally got a bank on board after a year of working with them and then opened the door and they're like, actually, we told you we were going to give you 600. We're actually only going to give you 400,000. And I had just signed a lease and it was just this frantic effort to quickly find a new bank and then begin the search for investors. And it was just astronomically brutally challenging. Um, so I would say that was by far the hardest part and something that I'm super committed to in the future is just helping 
women access capital. I think that's just a real, a huge part in leveling the playing field when you look at people who, you know, people invest in people who look like them. And, and so we have more women in that role of, of the investor where we've got a long, a long way to go. Yeah, that's tough. I guess our our show gives money back to Kiva. That's a woman investment. Yeah, so we're into it too. Awesome. Yes, we need to see a lot more of that. Yeah. Wow. Do you have um, any advice for women entrepreneurs out there? <laughs> my my kind of tongue in cheek response to that is don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I honestly do kind of mean it. Like I don't I think a lot of people have this kind of romantic idea of what it is like to to run your own business and to and the just brutal truth of it is is your the chances of you making as much as you have with your day job are pretty slim. And you know, like the impact that's gonna have on your family and friends and everyone is is, you know, you can't underestimate it. Um, but what I really say is if it's if it's all you can think about, you know, if it's what you think about when you go to sleep, if it's what you think about when you wake up and you just can't help yourself, then go for it. But if you can, if you can say no, say no. <laughs> but if you can't, then go in, go, you know, fully go for it and don't look back. I always tell people that um, it, you see a lot of women entrepreneurs that are from nonprofit work, and it's because we're used to not making a lot of money. And so then when and for, you know, going around and getting money from other people, because that is what makes you good as a business owner, if you have that training from doing nonprofit work. I think that's totally true. You really learn how to run something super scrappy mm -hmm. um, and, and just make it work. Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes people are a little surprised by my kind of career path of going from teaching kids about healthy food to making booze, but it makes a ton of sense in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does too. I mean, I always meet women that have come from nonprofit work. And as soon as I do, I'm like, oh yeah, I get it. Like it's the same, it's kind of the same thing. You're working really hard. You're not making any money, but in ways you're doing what you're passionate about, which for me was supporting, you know, organ agriculture. And that sounds like a, a big part of where your business started from. And it just makes a lot of sense when you do it. But it's people always think like, oh, I see your product everywhere or you sell your product for this amount of money. You must be making tons of money. And I'm like, hmm, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> hey, yeah, Jill, have you, misconception. Yeah. have you won any awards for your spirits? We have, we've won, each of our products has won some kind of award. Um, it's not, I don't know. I feel funny about awards. I don't really tout them that much because especially <laughs> with spirits, like when you're drinking, you're doing a spirits judging, you've got a line of 20 different gins in front of you and your palate's kind of shot after the second or third one. So we don't actually submit to a ton of competitions, but when we do, we perform really well. So yes, each of our products has won, has won awards, but we don't really spend a lot of time promoting those. A lot of buyers purchase based on the awards. <clears throat> so rather than trying them, yeah. yeah. If you seem yeah. to be doing well, then you should submit your stuff to every possible place. And that's going to prove to you that yours is the best. Yes. Yes, Sarah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah does a lot of Marching. judging for those kinds of awards Marching and she'll orders. like teach people how to judge properly because yeah. if, they, if they, yeah, if they aren't spitting or they aren't tasting something in between, she'll be like, you need to do this or you're not really tasting the product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. She tells them how to do it. Yeah. Yep. 
Thank you. (laughs) Well, we always like to send people to you directly. So what's the best way for people to buy from you right now? Yes. Freelandspirits.com. And there, if you're in Oregon, you can have, you can come to our tasting room and pick up through the curbside program or have it delivered. Uh, We aren't legally allowed to ship out of state, but we do have a link there to online partners uh, that you can buy from. So that's the best way. Perfect. Cool. Well, Jill, unfortunately we are out of time for today, but we loved having you on the show and we want people to go support your business. So everybody please go buy Freeland Spirits. And when the tasting room is open, if you're local, go visit because it's super wonderful and awesome. Thank you for being a guest on the show today, Jill. My pleasure. Thank you it's both. Very nice to talk with you. Likewise. Now, thanks for the box inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> You probably have a lot of really good boxes at your place. It's true. It's true. We could eat. That's why I should come by to get a better box. Yeah, we should make Sarah's um, hat be a Freeland box for sure. And then it'll always be on here. I'm taking it. Another repurposed item. (laughs) This box has done a lot for me lately. In fact, I put it on during a very serious staff meeting and everybody got a good chuckle out of it. (laughs) we all need something to laugh about right now yeah you're bringing joy sarah you got to keep it up okay so marketed choice is oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store with 10 stores in oregon it's all about choice we focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional natural organic local and health conscious products We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and customers live and work. To find the Market of Choice nearest you, visit our website at www.marketofchoice.com. At Market of Choice, we buy local so you can too. We record Missoni and Marshall every week. Tune in live Fridays at 9 a.m. or find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show or give us some news to talk about, you can send us a message on Instagram at Missoni and Marshall. Until next week, we'll be back, everybody. Bye for now. Bye. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.